Shelby, we good? <clears throat> Let's give it up for the worship team, Short, shorthanded today. Great job, guys. Thanks for coming, those that did. Appreciate you guys being here. Feeling a lot of pressure right now. I'm just joking, I don't feel pressure. Man, holidays, I've been, real, been feeling really overwhelmed and busy. Um, so I couldn't think of a better time for me to have to, for me to get the opportunity to, to preach. Um, just, just been going through a lot. God's been revealing a lot to me, not only through my own life, but through the lives of others and through some opportunities I've had to talk with people. Um, so we, before we get into this, <clears throat> I'm just going to open up with some prayer. Thank you, Lord, just for bringing us here today. Just thank you for health. We're just so, so grateful for the opportunity that you've afforded us, Jesus, to wake up every day with a clean slate. Thank you for supernatural grace and mercy, your unconditional love, Jesus. Thank you, Lord, that we each have an immeasurable impact that we can make on society and those around us. Just about tapping into that. Thank you, Lord, for receiving spirits and open ears today. Let your words flow through me. Let me be conduit for you. In your name we pray, Jesus. Amen. <clears throat> so I've, I've gotten the opportunity to visit a couple other churches lately to talk about LifeWise. It's been pretty cool. Been very, very welcoming. Uh, we've set it up beforehand, so they put us kind of on their agenda. And it's amazing to me the attendance in these churches and the attendance through tradition. And it, it, it's admirable. From my perspective, it's admirable because growing up, like being a non denominational church, non-denomination means you, you're not a Methodist or a Mennonite or a Lutheran. You're non-denomination. So kind of stick out like a sore thumb when it comes to the tradition of what your mom and dad might have done, what your grandparents might have done, what their parents might have done. So it's been, it's been nice for me to like get a fresh dose of perspective to see some, some of these other churches, how they operate, and it makes me really thankful. It seriously does. Um, not only just to be here and to be part of a finished work family, but it makes me very thankful because I have often struggled with <clears throat> like humility from the standpoint of I think that what we have or what I have or the revelation that I've gotten through the finished work and understanding the gospel I think everyone should be there. Not necessarily like from a spiritual maturity standpoint, but I just, I've always had a hard time with understanding why are these people going to these churches, listening to these sermons that have a lot of false accusations towards how God really is. And I've been to churches before, even before I was in ministry, where I'd get a message or I, I would be there listening to a message and I'm like, man, this is like, I, I'm leaving feeling super discouraged. 
And that's like, that's, that's, I always felt really like weird, heavy, like there was like a film on me. Like I just couldn't get it off. I'm like, what, what is, like, God's going to challenge me, all this other stuff. So I recently had a revelation. Um, I was just super judgy about the churches and like to each their own. Like we need to be, we need to be operating as one body. The gospel and the movement for Jesus Christ is not bound by walls or structure. And that's the revelation that I've gotten. I would go to these churches and I'm like, they're going to like, I'm going to be, I'm going to stick out like a sore thumb. They're not even going to want me there. They're going to be on and off the stage as fast as I can. Because they know that like, I don't go there. My family doesn't go there. I wasn't raised in that in that manner. I don't know their traditions, when to stand up, when to sit down, what book to read from. Like, are there instruments? If they're not instruments, I don't know. Do we sing? Do we not sing? Do we raise our hands? Do we not? So there's some structure there. Some people are attracted to that, right? But more so, some people don't know any better. That's where they've been brought up. That's where they're going to go. And around here, it's, it matters to people because they don't want to branch out because it would be different. And seeking discomfort leads to growth. Nothing happens without being uncomfortable. Uncomfortability is something that happens when you step out of the boat. So one thing that I did that was very uncomfortable was I had someone recommend that I should listen to a friend of mine who preaches in the area, but he doesn't go to the same church I do. And I don't, I've just had some, I've had a bad taste in my mouth before from this church. They haven't done anything intentionally to me. They just don't believe exactly how I do. They say some things and some verbiage and believe in some things and sing some songs that I just like don't love. Does that mean they don't love Jesus? No. But I've had a hard time overcoming that. So after exhausting like three different conversations with people that are in my small circle about how much I don't want to listen to this person and how I can't believe that other people recommend that I should listen to these people. Why aren't they recommending my sermons to people? Why aren't they recommending my church to people? Listen to one of our sermons and like, you know what, I'm going to create a Facebook page and I'm going to like spam everybody with my sermons. Like, let's, let's get that going. You know, so like, and I'm not, it might, it might sound like I struggle with pride because I do. But um, I decided one day, in order to break the cycle, I'm not doing it for anyone else. I didn't listen to that sermon to get a revelation and then come here. I did it because in those conversations that I had, every single one of them, yes, there was our ironing, sharpening iron. Because I would ask them, like, hey, am I in the wrong here? Yeah, but like, I also got their perspective on it, too. Every conversation led to me still being frustrated. So I said, you know what? It's, I can't judge anybody. I can't judge the sermon. I can't judge that person's heart unless I listen to it. So with my faith shield up, I listened to the sermon. Phenomenal. Phenomenal sermon. I was like awestruck. Couldn't believe my ears that this person was giving a sermon like this in a structure that I had assumed wouldn't accept that, wouldn't be welcoming to that type of message or that type of rhetoric. 
And then I told the three people that I had conversations with, I'm like, yo, the sermon was really good. I'm not sure if you guys have listened, but it was really good. And then I, I, and then I, I texted that person, texted my buddy that, that did the sermon, and I told him exactly what happened. Because I think this is, that's a microcosm of how society works right there. And that's what God revealed to me. And if it wasn't for me wanting to break that cycle and give that a chance, how am I supposed to expect you guys to have receiving hearts and open ears if I can't? And who am I to restrict the flow of where God wants to speak to me from? So I told this person, and, that, and, and it, was, it was amazing because we had an awesome conversation, texting, and he, like, we're, we're one and the same. We're moving in the same direction. We've got to stop. I, I've got to get away from, I won't even say we, but I'll say I've got to get away from speaking to this body and representing a structure. We're a body of Christ. We are in this together. We need to be rowing in the same direction, not different boats trying to outrace each other. Because I don't know what that person's revelation is. I don't know what message they're going to bring at the pulpit. But for me to not have open ears and for me to expect that he doesn't receive from the same Holy Spirit that I do, that's wild. Not only that, it is limiting my impact on the people around me. It is limiting the impact that Jesus can have through me. So I was reminded of John 10.10. And it's Satan... The thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy. But I have come that you may have life and live it to the full, or live it more, more abundantly. How I had interpreted that in the past, I had always thought that like, there was, Satan was only going to work in one of those three manners. He might steal from me, he might kill, or he might destroy, but he won't do all three. And it's just how I interpreted it. But I, on the back end of it, I was just like, I'll, you know, but I have come that you may have life live it more abundantly. So I'm like, oh, okay, God's going to make my life great. We often forget that we are born into sin. That Satan is the, the prince of the world. Jesus had to come because the world has, has fallen, because of the fall of man in the garden. But Satan, Satan is a thief. He does steal. He does steal our peace. But he does it in a sly manner. He's not just going to like, you're not going to go out to your parking, the parking lot after work and your car is going to be gone. It's like, oh, that's Satan did that. He stole from me. No. He's going to do it in a much more sly manner. He's going to be manipulative. He's going to do it piece by piece. And if we keep operating in that, in that manner that I'm talking about, he would steal an opportunity for me to learn from others. He would steal my understanding of what the Holy Spirit has in store for me by, by putting up a block of flesh and pride in my mind that I, saying, I can't learn from them. I can't hear from them. I don't agree with how that church made me feel in the past. But to the same grace that, that Jesus has given me, I need to extend to others. So that was a, it was just a life-altering moment that happened. It was just, I, and I just like was in my office listening to this, and like, <laughs> I, was want, I was wanting to disagree. It was, and, 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 and 
God just softened my heart, and I'm like, man, it just, it goes to show me that there's so much more that can be learned when we're willing to go into something without having a loaded agenda and, like, put the gun down. Like, I don't need to go in there, like, wanting to get an argument. So it's just, it's, it's been awesome. And then God's really revealed some stuff to me through this, uh, through this sermon. So I, I am, I'm guilty of being like, any, I mean, uh, The Grinch is an awesome movie. Every, every year I watch it, like I, I learn something new. Or I, I catch something different. And The Grinch is an awesome movie because it shows like the madness of society. Like, take, take out the whole him thing, but, like, when he's talking about, like, Whoville and all them, like, it's showing the madness of society, and it's showing how everyone's so distracted, and they're so zoned in on celebrating this festivist time. But, like, they're more talking about how loony they are and how, like, song singing and, like, the magic of Christmas. But... That's, it's very, very, very accurate to our society. Like, the more I look at our society and the more I watch TV and commercials and, like, look at all the people. Like, we made the mistake of going to Walmart yesterday. Unbelievable. And I, I was just like, what are we doing? Like, sales on sales on sales. And this, this aisle and that aisle. And you need this, you need that. This gadget, this gadget. I'm like, dude, it's every year it gets more accurate. The Grinch. So I started to like think, like, do, is anyone actually broken down what Christmas means? We understand what it represents. As a Christian, we understand what it represents. But like, I love breaking down words, and I love like looking at like where they're derived from. So this is my sermon today, and I'm, I'm really, I'm really happy that, uh, I'm really happy that I had open, open ears to listen to this. I think it's going to bless you guys. Go to the uh, first slide. So, y'all good? It's okay. Anyways, so Christ, we know Jesus was born, and he was, he was born from Virgin Mary, right? So that's how we get Christmas, Christ. But as far as Mass is defined, I had no idea what that meant. I, I was kind of thinking like the Taco Bell ad, like, live mas, like, live more. I'm like, oh, more Christ. Yeah, that's what Christmas is. No, I looked it up, and the term mass is derived from the ecclesiastical Latin formula for the dismissal of a congregation. The phrase is ite misa est, which means go, it is the sending, or being sent, the dismissal of. Dismissing a congregation is sending them out to the world to spread the gospel. Regardless of what denomination you believe in, that's what they're going to do from, from a Christian perspective. So my example is the sending out of Jesus Christ to the world. So Christmas is Christ Mass. So when people think like when Catholics go to Mass, that's what they're going to do. They're going to learn and then being sent out. They just call it going to mass, going to church. I'm not promoting the Catholic Church. I'm just saying that's where it's from. Next slide. 
So I started reading in Matthew, and it is crazy to me how, how much I assume that I know about Christmas that I don't. So we're just going to read today because I struggle reading the Bible like thoroughly in my own time. I'm really good at, I'm really, really good at like scanning over it, but I don't read it, read it really thoroughly. So we're going to go through some points here today and uh, I think you'll be pleased. <clears throat> so Matthew 1, 18 through 25. This is when Joseph accepts Jesus as his son. This is the NIV. This is how the birth of Jesus, the Messiah, came about. His mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph, but before they became together, she was found to be pregnant through the Holy Spirit. So let's break that down. They were engaged. Both virgins, and, and he plans to marry her, and she becomes pregnant by the Holy Spirit. Okay? Because Joseph, on night, verse 19, because Joseph, her husband, was faithful to the law, and yet did not want to expose her to public disgrace, he had in mind to divorce her quietly. I never knew that. So I just learned that. I did not know that last part. I had just always thought that, like, oh, man, like, he supported her. So, like, putting myself in his shoes, that would be very difficult. Because we're not reading a story. We are. This is an observation. This is, this is a record of what happened in this life. So I often have to remind myself of that. We are reading this, and it is, it is, it is, we're reading it as it is a story. This actually happened. So for us to be able to like put ourselves in Joseph's shoes or understand like what his feelings were or what her feelings were or the feelings of not wanting to be exposed to others, you can, you can relate, but you got to understand these are real people. This really happened. This happened in this life. That would be difficult. I, I would struggle with that. I, would, I probably would have chosen the divorce route because I, would, I didn't have the peace of mind in the Holy Spirit that he had. So let's go to verse 20. But after he had considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife, because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. Okay? So he had a dream. I dream often. He had a dream, and an angel spoke to him in his dream. Now, biblically, dreams were valued much more than they are now. Like, dreams back then had a, a super high importance. So thank, thank God that Joseph was obedient and that he believed and had faith. Verse 22, all this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet. The virgin will conceive and, birth, and give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. That verse right there completely, <clears throat> com completely squashes the argument that Jesus is not God. Jesus is God in the flesh. I mean, that, that verse right there, if anyone, if anyone needs further proof, I don't know that's just factual. There's no other way you can even interpret that. You could look at it, nothing. Emmanuel, God with us. God is now with us in the flesh. When Joseph woke up, he did what the angel of the Lord had commanded him and took Mary home as his wife. 
but he did not consummate their marriage until she gave birth to a son, and he gave him the name Jesus. This is going to be hard to read. Matthew, it's Matthew 2, 1 through 12. This is when the Magi, Magi visit the Messiah. <clears throat> so after Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea, during the time of King Herod, Magi from the east came to Jerusalem and asked, where is the one who had been born king of the Jews? We saw his star when it rose and have to come worship him. When King Herod heard this, he was disturbed and all Jerusalem with him. When he had called together all the people's chief priests and teachers of the law, he asked them where the Messiah was to be born. In Bethlehem in Judea, they replied, for this is what the prophet has written. But you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For out of you will come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Then Herod called the Magi secretly, found out from them the exact time the star had appeared. He sent them to Bethlehem and said, go and search carefully for the child. As soon as you find him, report to me, so that I too may go and worship him. I never, that, that never impacted me how deceitful he was being. Like, you gotta, you got to read that without rushing through it. We're, we rush through it to get to the birth of Jesus, like, so quick. All we want to see is, like, oh, then they're going to bring him gifts, and, like, it's, he's in the manger. I, that never, that ne, it never, like, hit me how deceitful he was being. After they had heard the king, they went on their way, and the star they had seen <clears throat> when it rose went ahead of them until it stopped over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they were overjoyed. On coming to the house, they saw the child with his mother Mary, and they bowed down and worshipped him. Then they opened their treasures and presented him with gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And having been warned in a dream not to go back to Herod, they returned to their country by another route. Once again, super big importance on dreams, like, which is amazing to me, because they had so much faith and so much trust that their dreams were pure. That's awesome. Also, these guys went from being with King Herod to going to see Jesus and just happened to have a revelation on the way, like, we need to not disclose this location. We need to get here, and we're going to worship this little baby that we had a dream about. So this is the escape to Egypt. When they had gone, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream. Get up, he said. Take the child and his mother and escape to Egypt. Stay there until I tell you, for Herod is going to search for the child to kill him. So he got up, took the child and his mother during the night, and left for Egypt, where he stayed until the death of Herod. And so was fulfilled what the Lord had said through the prophet. Out of Egypt I called my son. When Herod realized that he had been outwitted by the Magi, he was furious. He gave orders to kill all the boys in Bethlehem and its vicinity, who were two years old and under, in accordance with what time he had learned from the Magi. Then what was said through the prophet Jeremiah was fulfilled. A voice is heard in Ramah, weeping in great mourning, Rachel weeping for her children and refusing to be comforted because they are no more. After Herod died, an angel of the Lord appeared in a dream to Joseph in Egypt and said, Get up, take the child and his mother, go to the land of Israel, for those who are trying to take the child's life are dead. So he got up, took the child and his mother, and went to the land of Israel. But when he heard that Archelaus was reigning in Judea in place of his father Herod, he was afraid to go there. 
Having been warned in a dream, he withdrew to the district of Galilee, and he went and lived in a town called Nazareth. So was fulfilled what was said through the prophets, that he would be called a Nazarene. So here, I'm going to jump to Matthew 3, 1 through 16. <clears throat> this is like when they start talking about John the Baptist. In those days, John the Baptist came preaching the wilderness of Judea and saying, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven has come near. This is, this is he who was spoken of through the prophet Isaiah. A voice of one calling in the wilderness, Prepare the way for the Lord. Make straight paths for him. John's clothes were made of camel's hair, and he had a leather belt around his waist. His food was, from, was locusts and wild honey. People went out, from, went out to him from Jerusalem and all of Judea and the whole region of Jordan. Confessing their sins, they were baptized by him in the Jordan River. But when, he saw, <clears throat> but when he saw many of the Pharisees and Sadducees coming to where he was baptizing, he said to them, You brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the coming wrath? Produce fruit in keeping with repentance, and do not think you can say to yourselves, We have Abraham as our father. I tell you that out of these stones, God can raise up children for Abraham. The axe is already at the root of the trees, and every tree that does not produce good fruit will be cut down and thrown into the fire. Okay, number one, that's super aggressive. I love that. John the Baptist like, had a revelation on what, uh, that, that Jesus was coming. He had a revelation of the old covenant and the new covenant, which is amazing. He knew that they were saying, Abraham's going to be our father. Such small-mindedness. I can just imagine like being right there, like watching him talk, address these people. Verse 11, I baptize you with water for repentance, but after me comes one who is more powerful than I, whose sandals I am not worthy to carry. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. His winnowing fork is in his hand, and he will clear his threshing floor, gathering his wheat into the barn and burning up the shaft with unquenchable fire. Then Jesus came from Galilee to the Jordan to be baptized by John. But John tried to deter him, saying, I need to be baptized by you, and do you come to me? Jesus replied, Let it be so now. It is proper for us to do this to fulfill all righteousness. Then John consented. As soon as Jesus was baptized, he went, he went up out of the water. At that moment, heaven was opened, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and a lot alighting on him and a voice from heaven said this is my son whom I love with him I am well pleased so I I was a little bit taken back by like reading through Matthew how fast it jumps from talking about the birth of Jesus and all of the conflict that was going on to just going into like the testimony of John the Baptist and talking about his life and his walk and how he how he portrayed this person that you know had this supernatural revelation that no one else did and John was like revered as like someone that no one could relate to but there was a reason why and then for Jesus to like it just goes from you know him and all the conflict he had and then it's like i i don't know exactly the timeline but i'm thinking he's like a young adult at this point because he he only lived for low 30s. So I'm thinking like if this is 
You know, he's a young adult here. So they just skip all the way to that. And it goes to all of a sudden Jesus being baptized, rising up out of the water and saying, this is my son whom I love. With him I am well pleased. So we're going to jump to Matthew 4, verses 1 through 11. So then right after this, Jesus is tested in the wilderness by Satan. And this, this is amazing. Then Jesus, verse 4, then Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted. Or no, this is verse 1. To be tempted by the devil. After fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. The tempter came to him and said, if you are the Son of God, tell these stones to become bread. Jesus answered, it is written, man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. Then the devil took him to the holy city and had him stand on the highest point of the temple. If you are the son of God, he said, throw yourself down, for it is written, he will command his angels concerning you, and they will lift you up in their hands, so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. Jesus answered him, it is also written, do not put the Lord your God to the test. Again, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their splendor. Verse 9, all this I will give you, he said, if you will bow down and worship me. Jesus said to him, away from me, Satan, for it is written, worship the Lord your God and serve him only. Then the devil left him and angels came and attended him. Satan, Satan is crafty. I mean, his fall from being in the union of angels allows him to have access to knowing like what weak points are. He tried to he tried to outwit Jesus with saying what God said. This is just an example. This is a shadow and a type of exactly how he gets at us, how he's going to, you know, attack us. It's not going to, it, it could be through something that's like super extreme. It could also be through something that's like very sly manipulative. So after I was done reading this, I just was sitting there meditating and I was reading a uh, devotional this morning by Joseph Prince and it was from Romans. So I want to jump to Romans because this, this all ties together. <clears throat> so go to the next slide, please. So this is from Romans 8, 31 through 39. I know there's quite a few books in between here, but you'll, you'll get it. So in Romans 8, 31 through 39, Paul says, what then shall we say in response to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for, for us all, how will he not also along with him graciously give us all things? Who will bring any charge against those whom God has chosen? It is God who justifies. Who then is the one who condemns? No one. Christ Jesus, who died more than that, who was raised to life, is at the right hand of God and is also interceding for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble or hardship or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or a sword? As it is written, for your sake, we face death all day long. We are considered as sheep to be slaughtered. Verse 37, no, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, 
Neither the present nor the future nor the, any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen, man. That's so powerful. So I'm reading this, and I was asking myself, like, what's the purpose of Christmas? Like, what's the real meaning of Christmas, the true meaning of Christmas? And I'm sure there's been hundreds of thousands of sermons probably titled The True Meaning of Christmas. This is the true meaning of Christmas. The true meaning of Christmas is the fact that we get the choice to choose Jesus. He was born. Christmas is celebrating him being born in our place so that we can be acceptable to God. God sent Jesus in the flesh because we missed it that much. Go to the next slide, please. So Christmas is to celebrate the greatest event in the history of the world, Jesus' birth. If that wouldn't have happened, no one would even be here. It took obedience on behalf of humans, which is amazing to me because we had missed it so bad and we had already like gone so far astray from what God's original plan was that like they, they expected two different people to be obedient through a dream. <clears throat> Mary, you're going to have a baby inside you. And Joseph... Uh, It's the Holy Spirit. No worries. That's tough, man. Like, that's a different level of faith. That is is high importance on a dream. That's high importance on understanding your heart condition and knowing that, like, you have a direct line to God. That the Holy Spirit, there was no questioning. You know what those people weren't? They were not indecisive. They were decisive. They knew exactly what the Holy Spirit was telling them to do. And they had a choice. They didn't have to. It took obedience on their part. The third point, Jesus' birth activated the atonement for our sins as he would go on to live a flawless and perfect life. Sacrificing himself in our place on the cross to atone for all sins, past, present, future. That's what we're celebrating for. It's become so much of a production value. So, I mean, there's nothing wrong with Christmas songs and all that. I love it. Like, the magical feeling it gives you, right? Like, the Christmas movies. I love all that. But even in The Grinch, they always say, like, what's the true meaning of Christmas? They never really get to it. The true meaning of Christmas is the fact that we get to wake up every single day with a clean slate. Those of us that have believed in the one he sent. So Christmas points to the gospel. Christmas allows us to conquer death. Christmas allows us to focus back on Jesus conquering death. And by us choosing to believe in the one he sent, we get to rejoice in that every day. We always talk about here how like every single thing in the Bible should point back to Jesus. Every single thing should point back to the gospel. When I get a chance to talk to anybody or disciple or be a part of someone's uh, walk and their salvation, it needs to be nothing about what you did, all about what he did for you. 
And that, that's, what, that's what happens. That, that, that's what happens to a change in behavior, a change in heart condition, a change in the light, in your, the light that you're allowed to put off. That's what happens. Is when you become more aware of what Jesus did for you in your place. And so I had a, uh, there was a, like, I'm considering even like painting this on my, on my living room wall. Is that powerful? Joseph Prince had in his devotional today. that this paragraph that just describes it perfect. Jesus' love for you is not contingent on your, on your immaculate performance. He loves you even in your failings. That's why it's called grace. It is the undeserved, unmerited, unearned favor. If you can, if you, if you can deserve grace, if you can deserve God's grace, then it is lo- no longer grace. If you can deserve God's grace, it is no longer grace. Give me a spray paint can just in the living room. That's where we get caught up, man. That's where I get caught up. I won't speak for anybody else. That's where I get caught up. That, the D word, man, deserve, <clears throat> merit. It's terrible. And how Satan has been like trying to get a foothold in my life is... I've always uh, separated the two. I've always had merit and deserve because I think that as Christians, what I've observed and what has like, turned me off sometimes about religion, self-righteousness, Christianity, is people think that their activity, a mission trip, uh, giving to the homeless, uh, having a dinner and having the needy come, that's an activity. It's an active show of something you're representing. Give them a badge. They earned it. That's merit. That's how, I've always, that's how I always thought merit was. You know, merit-based Christianity. Pressed khakis, a nice shirt, walk into church with your family. It all has to look good, right? Give them the badge. But I never thought about the word deserve. <clears throat> I've always thought, like, I deserve to have this because, like, I've refrained from something. So, like, internally, I've refrained from cursing. I've refrained from, you know, temptation of any type. So, like, now I deserve. And that hit me like a brick wall, dude. That hit me bad. Because, like, I'm not doing something active to earn it, but I do think that I deserve it. And when I read that, if you can deserve God's grace, it is no longer grace. That just, points, once again, points back to Jesus. Just got to change the tone, change the way we think. Because in order for me to be able to receive from Jesus, in order for us to be able to receive from Jesus with a softened heart, I got to get out of that deserved category. I got to get out of that merit-based category. There are two different ways to look at it. So the next time we do something wrong, hold fast to his love being unconditional. Receive his Holy Spirit. And he has the power to overcome that failing feeling, that struggle. 
So that, that was my interpretation of what Christmas really means. I know we have one more Sunday before actual Christmas happens, but it has a whole new meaning now. It's not just like we put such an emphasis on the manger and like the struggle that they had back then. We forget about what was activated. Like what was activated from that day. That day is just, that day is just import, as important as, as the sacrifice. There's no sacrifice without the birth. And we put such more emphasis on Easter and like everyone is so, so focused on, oh, thank you, Jesus. This is thank you, Jesus. This is thank you, Jesus. The sacrifice can't happen without him being alive. So I've just been, had a, my, I've had like the scales have thrown off my eyes for like being blinded and being distracted by the production value of Christmas and the plays and the time off and the family and the get-togethers and the food and the and the, you know, we're like the Whoville. We're Whoville. We're Who's. But who really matters, you know? Jesus. It becomes so much about us during Christmas. I deserve a break. I work hard, you know? I do work hard, right? Here's the pride coming out in me. I work hard. I have a job. I deserve a break. So I deserve Christmas break. My kids, they go to school all year. They deserve a break. We're missing it, man. We need to be celebrating just as much as we do on Easter. For Jesus. So this is my message. Yeah, Christmas and conquer. It is Christmas that allows us to conquer. So I appreciate y'all listening. Have a great week. You do deserve a break, but <laughs> let's just remember. Let's just remember who it's for. I'll pray for us and we can get out of here. <clears throat> All right. Thank you, Lord, just for bringing us here today. Thank you for receiving spirits. Thank you just for reminding us of how blessed we are, that we get to wake up every single morning knowing that we don't have to deserve it. We don't have to actively go out and earn it. We don't have to feel bad about missing it. We just have to focus on you, Lord. Focus on what you finished. It is done. If something's already done, it can't be redone. You already completed it. The box is checked. Thank you, Jesus just for your birth, for living a life in our shoes in order to be the atonement for our sins. I'm just so thankful for you, Lord. Thank you for the provision, for going out in front of us, for blessing our hands and our feet and blessing our words, knowing that the tongue holds words of life and death and those who love it will eat its fruit. Thank you, Lord, that we are going to be life givers. Thank you, Jesus, for the influence and the impact that we can have in those around us. And we are so thankful for you, Lord. From gratitude emerges humility. In your name, Jesus, amen.